Hello, and welcome to TechTO's Three Comma Club podcast. In this podcast, we talk with the founders and leaders of Canadian tech companies that have grown to over a billion dollars in valuations. We learn about their journey from inception to today and what the future holds for them. I'm your host, Alex Norman, the co-founder of TechTO and partner at N49P. Uh, we're doing this podcast in conjunction with the TMX, who's partnered with us to talk about the future of the Canadian tech ecosystem. Today's guest is Marcelo Cortez, the CTO and co-founder of FAIR. FAIR is an online wholesale marketplace that connects 450,000 retailers with 70,000 brands worldwide and has raised more than a billion dollars to date. I am pleased to welcome Marcelo to the podcast. Marcelo, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. We know you're super busy and we're excited to have you on here. So let's go back to the beginning. Way back in 2017, uh, you co-founded uh, FAIR, and I'd like to learn a bit more about the situation back then. How did you meet your co-founders, Max and uh, Danielle? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll go a little bit before that because I think it's relevant. Excellent. <laughs> but, uh, I, at some point, I was working at Google, and that's how I got a lot of exposure to Silicon Valley and all the things that were happening there as I was traveling to California a lot. Uh, and I left Google to start a company. I was like, I, I have to get into this. I, I need to start a company. I had a lot of experience already, like almost 15 years at the time. And I left me and another engineer from Google. We started a company and we knew how to build technology. We knew how to build products. And we, we, we built something, but we were not ready to build a business. Right? And, and I le we learned that pretty quickly. I think uh, seven, eight months in, even though we had a product that was growing users, we, don't we didn't have a plan. We didn't know how to build a business around it. Uh, so I decided, okay, I still want to do startups, but I, I, I have a lot to learn before I can actually do it. And at the time, I had the opportunity to join Square when Square was still much smaller than what it is yeah. today. Not a tiny company. It was like a $3 billion company, uh, but like 300-something employees. And uh, I, I joined, again, with the intention of learning more how like a successful hyper-growth startup executes, how do they build product, how do they go to market, what's the business behind a product, right, and the technology. And I got very fortunate because as I joined Square uh, in Canada, they didn't even have an office here, but uh, it was the beginning of the cash app for Square. Uh, they, they, I got a call from the CTO one day and like, can you help with this prototype you're building? There were three or four people involved in it. I jumped on it. Uh, and soon after, that, that prototype became a product very quickly. More people joined. And uh, out of those initial people there, the three or four people, Daniele uh, was one of them who was responsible for all the data and fraud detection of the, that made the Cash App successful. I was doing the engineering. And not long after, Max joined as the head PM for the product. And again, it went from a prototype to something we launched. Uh, and the team started to grow. Uh, and that's how I met Max and Daniele. Yeah. We worked together and for four years, right? Like if you now uh, advanced four years here, the Cash App became one of the most successful products for Square. It grew a lot. Uh, the team grew a lot. We created offices in, in like many different locations uh, for, for that product specifically. And throughout this whole four years, while we were very excited building the Cash App for Square and we saw the future of that, we're always thinking like one day we, we need to use all the things that we're learning here and start our own company. Uh, and we were always talking through ideas, debating 
doing sometimes we even did some research on them until the time came that uh, we decided it was time for us to we felt like we were in a simulator you know we built a startup but we had this mothership around us that had a lot of money and it was pretty safe environment to build a, a product and a company so we wanted to do it on our own and be like let's see if we actually can do this outside of this simulate like you like you know when you're flying yeah. a a plane. It was an easy mode. Yes, and now let's go fly the real thing and, and see if we can make it happen. Uh, and of course, we picked an area to work on that we had a lot of experience, that uh, the experience that we had was relevant and that we had some advantage. Uh, I, I think at the time, we really believed our execution was a super weapon that we had. We're very good at building technology fast. So we picked a market that we knew well, which was small businesses and retail. Uh, Max had a, an umbrella company in the past, so he, he knew the, the hard hardship of selling into local retail, right? You have a, 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 a manufacturer product uh, and getting them into like the local mom and pop shops is the best, but it's very the hardest as well, going to trade shows and, and uh, hiring sales reps. So he knew the market and he knew there was no technology, even though it's a huge, huge market, there was no technology behind it. Everything was very inefficient and expensive and slow. So for, for a few years, we debated how can we add technology to make this, uh, make the lives of the, the parties that matter the most, the retailers and the brands, uh, more efficient, add value to them, remove these inefficiencies that are costing a lot of money, uh, and again, add value to them and build a business in between. So I, I love that story. I want to double click on a couple of things. So with your startup, you, didn't, you said you knew how to build product, but you didn't know how to build a company. So what did you get at your time in Square that gave you confidence that you now knew how to build a company? So there, there's a few things there. The first being, uh, I mean, we were engineers, pure engineers building a company, right? Uh, which is not, now I know it's not the best setup, even though there has been some companies that succeeded like that. Uh, the second was at Square, when we built the Cash App, uh, we got very lucky because the Cash App was built completely outside of the hierarchy of Square. Like it was Jack Dorsey and us, right? Yeah. Uh, we didn't report into engineering or product there. So, so it really felt like building our own company and everybody was involved into making it successful. So we would, engineers, designers, uh, data scientists, we would get together and like everybody would come up with ideas on how to improve things, how to make it more successful, how to add value to the customers. Uh, there was a bunch of lessons there, but like just seeing how we thought through that and participating into like the business discussions as well, not only like here's a piece of a design, go build the engineering behind it, uh, helped a lot. And, and the most important lesson for me there coming from the other, the previous startup was really like you need complementary skills from your co-founders, right? Like, uh, and, and you need to know them very well. Right? I, I talk a lot about that because like, for the past five years, five and a bit since we started FAIR, I think I spend more time with my co-founders than with my family. So it's, it is like a long, very long-term relationship that has the ups and downs, just like a, a marriage does. And you need to have a very good relationship and know them very well, right? And, and like, I spent four years working with them. I knew them on like this, working for a company together. But when you get your own company, there's a lot of things you never did before with them, right? Like raising money, yeah. talking to investors, uh, it, it's still tricky, even knowing them very well and having working with having worked with them for a while. But I love that. So you had the ability to build a product and a company within Square. You knew your co-founders well, and you had the complementary skill sets, and you knew the area that you were working in. And Max had some ideas. So 
when you started, what was your vision for success? Like if, you know, go, go back to 2017, if you guys were sitting there having beers, talking about the startup you're about to launch, what would, what would you have said success was? It's, uh, it's funny because I, I know exactly what it was because we actually had this discussion. Like our goal at the time, like was, of course, like we, we knew, like we didn't lie to ourselves. Like we knew that starting a company, chances are you're going to fail. Like no matter who you are or what you know or how much you know the market, uh, chances are against you. Right. So uh, our goal initially was like to build a successful business. And of course, successful at the time wasn't like a billion dollar company or 12 billion dollar company. Successful at the time was like, we can get this company to be like a hundred million dollars. I think, I think that was our initial target. Like, let's add value here and build something that uh, will grow to eventually be a hundred million dollars. I don't, we didn't have a time frame, but that was the initial. Like when we sat together and we talked about this early on, that, that was our initial goal so yeah initial goal sounds like 100 million dollars creating value default alive um and sort of just prove you could do it exactly excellent so you you went and started the business go back you know when you you smb uh retailers and brands like from my experience those are not easy customers to get on board with technology to attract so when you started what do you perceive as your biggest challenge like you're going into this knowing the space yeah, so yeah, the biggest challenge, well, as you said, well, first of all, we were starting a two-sided marketplace, right, which is always a chicken and egg problem. So, uh, and, and like we were not new, like we're not the first ones doing this. A few companies had tried to build a wholesale online platform before for, for retailers and brands to connect, but uh, we, we looked at what they did and we, we believe they did a lot of things wrong. And we had a pretty good idea of like, our, our goal was to add value. To the, to the two parties that matter, as I said earlier, right? How can we build something that removes the inefficiencies, all this cost of going to trade shows, of high sales reps, uh, flying hotels, etc. How can we remove that cost, build a company that does it better, add more value to both sides? So we, and, and the, the, the side that we picked to help the most earlier was the retailer side. Because like, we're talking about small businesses, they were left on their own. Like, they didn't have any support. They have no data. It's usually like a, uh, an owner like doing 10 jobs at a time, trying to make a business succeed to feed his their family. So we were like, okay, how can we add more value there? And we were like, okay, we did a lot of interviews with customers. We got a lot of feedback. And the main thing we learned is like, there's a lot of anxiety buying products. Like they need to bring in new products to their stores because people will stop going to the store if they always see the same things. But bringing in a new product is a process that was very full of anxiety right they hmm. had to first of all they had no data so they would it's all by feeling they would look at products and uh based on intuition they would be like oh, i think my customers are gonna like this but then they have to place a wholesale order like buy 50 100 of this product pay up front they can't return this product so they put it on the shelves and they try and if it doesn't work they're stuck with that product right and they have to find ways lose money and time which is the two most valuable things for a retailer trying to get rid of those products. And so they had this conflict of needing new products, cool products, but also like a lot of anxiety bringing in new products. So we focused on that. We're like, okay, let's build a machine. We're going to get data. We're going to get, tell them what the products they should carry with a high degree of confidence that it's going to work. And uh, we, we believe we can do this so well that we're going to let them try the products for free. Uh, they, they have from day zero, they had net 90 days to pay and, and they could return anything for free uh, if it didn't work on their stores. So I love that insight that almost the customer you have to get to the, get the marketplace working is a retailer and that, you know, their trend, their search costs and knowledge costs was very high. So how do you get that data to 
informed at the beginning because imagine you're you're launching with a blank slate and you're not going to say we're smarter we have more data than you we're going to tell you what you should uh you know basically put well, on exactly at the time that was just a promise right we didn't have the data we knew we could if we had enough customers and we built a larger uh, marketplace we would have the data so we had to pay to learn right like we would like basically allow them to do this and use the money like fortunately when you start have just a handful of customers so you can afford to lose some money on them yeah and that's what we did initially actually we, we started day zero we started and we told max i remember very clearly like okay we believe in this idea let's see it working before we build anything so we went on amazon we bought some products like we Again, just like customers, the retailers do without any data. We picked some things we found cool, and we walked into stores that Max knew because he was selling umbrellas to them. And we said, hey, here's a bunch of products we think might work in your store. Do you want to carry them? If you sell, we'll pay you. If you don't sell, we'll come back and collect them, and you don't have to pay anything. And they were like, huh, yes. Like, if you're giving me free products, I'll try to sell them. And we did it. And again, we, we had some horrible products, but we also got very lucky. And there was one product, a candle that we bought called Pyropat that uh, this this woman on our very first customer she told us i would never have bought this candle if i had to pay for it like i, I only put it on the shelves because you guys gave it to me for free and it turned out to become one of her best sellers like wow. and then that's when we realized okay there's definitely something here uh, we just need to figure out how to find these products that will work and how to match them to stores and uh let's keep going and so that's that's how we got started and from there we started to build the technology Interesting. So you got a bunch of retailers on. How many retailers did you need to get on before you felt comfortable getting suppliers? So what we, well, in the early days, what we did is we we, we built a machine that would uh, search for products online. Like we, we built web crawlers. We would find all these brands and we built some algorithm around it to try to rank this product. So we use a lot of data that's available on the internet, like from things like reviews on products, uh, followers on Instagram, and a lot of signals uh, like this that we use to rank these products. And then we went to the top. We're like, we only want to sell the top yeah. products, right? So that's, we, we can't just sell anything because we, we would only make that anxiety that they have on buying products worse. Right? It, it, imagine like they had anxiety buying products by touching them with their hands. Imagine just looking at a few photos online, right? So we needed to make sure the products we had were good. But we also like, you don't have retailers. So how do you get these brands on the platform? So what we did initially is just like, we started selling, like we didn't, talk to the brands. We, we, we put the product on our website and when we got a sale, we would call the brand and explain what we're doing. And, and like, turns out they wanted the sales, right? You call yeah. a brand and you say, hey, I got an order for you for this store in Florida. Are you willing to fulfill the order? They were always scratching their heads and saying, uh, yes. And then we did it a few times. And the third time would be like, hey, by the way, we are fair. This is what we do. We're going to start charging you a commission. And they were like, okay. And we we're like, oh, this works. <laughs> uh, I love that. So, yeah, so you, very, you, few, very few companies or brands didn't accept our orders. The, the acceptance rate was over 99%. Wow. I love it. So you prove you had demand and of course everyone wants more revenue. So let's, let's skip forward a few years. You've, um, you know, got early product market fit. You have a few million in sales in your first year. What were the insights at that point that you used to start scaling up? So you talked a bit about proving the model, but like now you're trying to get the flywheel moving faster and faster. Yeah. So that first year, 2017 was definitely the challenge there was really finding product market fit, right? We knew we are adding value and we had something that again was good for both sides, but proving it to them was hard and getting the message across was hard. So like it was really that product market fit, but there was also like the message fit, right? Mm -hmm. Like we had the product, but when we talked to them, 
it was very hard to explain what we do and many times they were skeptical until we got to a simplified message of like what we do is try try before you buy you buy the products you have 60 days to pay after within those 60 days you can return anything they got it right away so that that so, was the first challenge right and we got to product market fit by adjusting the message and the product a little can, bit. can i double click on that because I, I think yeah. most founders miss that like they, they don't realize there's a message market fit as well and the, can i am i correct on some seeing what i heard here was that with the people that believe it was too good they didn't understand what you were offering what was the problem before you simplified your message Okay, so I'll tell you the problem. I don't even like to say this word, but yeah. like we, we used to say consignment. Yeah. We're like, we're going to use, it's a consignment model. We're going to give you the products, the best products. You're going to try to sell them. If you sell them, you pay us. If you don't, you give it back. And people would run away from us. And we were like, what is wrong here? Like, why? this is amazing. Why wouldn't they want it? And we realized that consignment has a very negative connotation in this market, right? Like, Retailers are used that uh, when they hear consignment, it's like they immediately think about brands who have such a bad product mm -hmm. that they are willing to give it to you for free to try to sell it for them. Uh, so the model didn't change much. We Instead of like giving the products for free and, and getting paid if they sell, which was even better than what we do today, yeah. we changed it to be like, you buy, you don't pay for 60 days. At the time, it was 90 days, actually, when we started. And... Uh, as soon uh, and within those 60 days or 90 days if you think the product's not a good fit you can return them so, so i love that that the insight that lets you scale was not changing the fundamental model but how you position it exactly and, interesting and then well i have to ask on the data side so like obviously at the beginning you were going by hunch and i guess part of the story here is timing is machine learning and neural networks but was it really the ai or was it the ability to get the data and understand basically get the right data and then so if so, both. how'd you get there? Yeah, it's both. Like we have a blog post about this uh, that we talk a little bit about the early days. But the, the reality is, I mean, our return rate after the first holiday from 2017 to 2018 was over 30%. Like that's we would that our business would not exist today with that uh, high return rate, right? And uh, but we knew like that, and that came. That's the next challenge. We found product market fit. People wanted it now, and we were growing very fast. But we raised our Series A, and when we looked at uh, our finances, we we're like, "Holy crap!" Like for every dollar sold on the platform, we're losing a lot of money here, uh, and the returns are very high. So, uh, but we knew, like, we knew that that now it's time to start using the data. We, we collected a lot of data, and we started to apply it. And, and like, there's a few things we did with the data. One was underwriting. Like at, at this point, uh, a small a small retailer could come on and buy as much as they wanted with Net Six or Net Nine, right? And yeah. of course, they they're not MBAs. They don't. They don't. They don't know. They're not like excellent at running business. So like you give them as much credit as you can. They will use it, and then they can't afford it, and they will return a lot. So the first was limiting credit. So we started behaving like a credit card company. We give you a limited amount of credit. If you behave well and you you pay and on time and you you don't return a lot of products, we give you more credit. If you behave badly and you don't pay or or you're late or you return too much, we decrease your credit. So like we kind of interesting. Your, your own finances for you in a way and then uh the, and then like we start to work very hard on, on starting to build the machine learning and, and ai that we have on recommendations we're like okay now we have data we're starting to see what products perform well in which stores how products work together with each other right there's an umbrella here every store that sells this umbrella also sells this uh, watch very well so we start to learn and apply the signals and build our machine learning and, and ai 
to improve recommendations. Like people come today, when a retailer comes to our website, they have a very unique experience. Like a, a, the next door retailer, if they come to our website, they're going to see completely different products because that's all the AI behind it. And like with that, our return rate has been dropping drastically every year uh, to like today being something that we don't even need to worry about. It's, it's very low and we don't, uh, it's not a big deal for us to allow returns, but it's a superpower that we have that people can return things because uh, we, again, help yeah. them be more successful. So I love that. So you first figure out the product market fit, then you get product marketing position product positioning or mar position marketing fit, then you use technology to get a model that works. Then 2020 comes and you do one thing affects you. And one thing you do, you expand internationally and COVID hits. So how have you navigated both of those since 2020 to now? What's like, what's the challenges? how do you have to navigate COVID? And at the same time, how do you go international? Cause I imagine there was a whole, like retail is retail, but it's different in every country. Yeah, so uh, those are great questions. Uh, it, 2020 was a very scary year for us, for sure. Uh, we had started going international in 2019. We allowed, first we, we went on the brand side. When we started, it was 100% United States, right? Brands and retailers on, in the United States uh, connecting to each other. In 2019, at some point, we opened up the brand side of the platform internationally in all countries. And very quickly, we grew up to like more than 120 countries internationally, all shipping to stores in the United States. Then the next step was Canada. We launched uh, the retailer side of our platform in Canada, uh, again, with brands from all over the world shipping to Canada and the US. And 2020 came and we were getting ready. We were like, okay, it's Europe time. Let's go launch in many countries in Europe. Uh, COVID hit. <laughs> we were still in this hyper growth mode, growing like 5x year over year. Uh, and we had to, like, I mean, we, we, at this point, we are a very well funded company. We have a lot of money in the bank. Uh, we had options. We could say, okay, let's slow down. Let's wait and see what happens and uh, come back when this is gone and, and keep growing. Uh, but we, we thought and we were like, okay, our customers are in trouble, right? The small, especially the small uh, physical stores, they're going to be shut down. They don't even know. They didn't even know yet, right, what's coming. They, they, they were probably very anxious as well and, and like a little bit desperate, not so much information coming, not knowing what's, what's going to, to happen. So we made this decision of... Uh, okay, we can survive, but like we need our customers to survive so that we have a business in the end of this, whenever the end is. So we moved, we, we changed gears completely from this hyper growth into like helping our customers succeed. Like how can we optimize for making sure they are going to be alive or as many of them as possible are going to be alive in the end of this. Uh, so like we, we, I started telling customers, stop buying from us because you're buying now, but your products are going to get there in a month or two and your store might be shut down. And we start to tell them, uh, to, to look at their finance, we built a financial, my, my team built a financial calculator sure. where they would, to, to try to educate them on like, okay, if your store is shut down for three months or six months or nine months or a year, what do you need to survive with like the expenses that you have on the business? Then we start to give them hints on like, start trying to save, like stop paying your rent or, or renegotiate your rent. Go, we help them apply for all the credits from the government in the US so and Canada. That's very interesting because first you almost help them understand their business better by giving limiting credits so they don't get too ahead of themselves on what they spend. And so it seems like you already had the mindset to help these customers understand their finances better than they could understand themselves. And you just, you know, double down on it with COVID. Exactly. And, and the other thing we did is like a, a trade shows were always a big part of their business. So we built this virtual trade show experience so that, again, they would ha keep having what they had before, uh, but we brought more into our platform. So... Turns out, okay, they survived. Like uh, they worked a lot. Like if you interview your customers, 
they worked a lot harder in 2020, 2021, probably five, 10 times more. They try, managed to get to keep their sales approximately the same as 2019, 2020. But again, by working a lot more. Yeah. And we, we, when we started, we also did a lot of surveys to understand their situation. And like at the, when COVID started, only 30% of our customers had any other channel to sell products other than their physical store. Like the very few had an online presence and it was very small. So we also helped them get online. Like we helped them, we recommended Shopify stores for them so that they could sell online and other platforms. We tried to, to get them to do a curbside pickup, local drop-off, a lot of things again, so that they keep selling and keep getting money into their business so they survive. Uh, and it worked. Like we, we built a lot of empathy from our, the empathy that we had with our customers helped build a lot of trust and they 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 start they knew already that we were doing good for them but that just like made it yeah. another level of magnitude higher I, I love that and so 2020 yeah COVID hits you help your customers survive you expand globally on the retail side because you're already on the brand side what did, you know you've done a lot but what did the next we did, five we did, pause, we did pause europe right we we're about yeah. to go to europe we, we couldn't like there was no way yeah. we couldn't even be there couldn't travel there so we we paused europe uh until but you're in europe now right we so we launched europe we started last march we launched in the uk yeah. and now we are in 18 19 countries in europe uh, and europe is growing very much faster than the us did and there's a lot of cross-border network effects which we that was our hope right yeah Brands in Europe wants to sell to the United States. Brands from the United States wants to sell to retailers in Europe. And retailers in Europe wants products from the U.S. and, and vice versa. So uh, we are making these local businesses better by giving them more variety and products that they wouldn't have a chance to get otherwise. Yeah, I, I, I would love to see. I don't know if you've done a study on how a fair retailer does versus a non-fair retailer, um, but I have a feeling they probably do better. I mean, we have seen a lot of success from the retailers on our platform, growing, opening new stores. We have a program called Open with Fair, where we help stores open and like we finance uh, the beginning of, so that they can buy a lot more products initially. I, I love that. Um, and thank you for making our high streets more interesting. So you know, you've, you've accomplished a lot in so few years. What, if I, you know, what does the next five to 10 years look like? I mean, it's hard to talk about five to 10 years. Uh, considering that we are alive for a little bit over five right now, right? But the goal has always been from the, like when, when we saw, like as, as I talked about earlier, right? Our initial goal, like that $100 million business and a successful startup. Of course, that came very fast for us, in like a year and a bit. Uh, but like, we were never satisfied. We we're never like, oh, we're done here, right? Every time we, we had a round of investments, we're always already thinking about how to make the, the company better and give more value to the customers and, and so on. Uh, again, if you think of our business, we started serving small retailers, mom and pop shops in the United States and brands, small brands as well in the United States in the gift category, which is a, a very large category for retail. Uh, but if you think about the future for us, uh, the future is really like to expand on what we have. We want to be the wholesale platform for, for these retailers and brands around the world. That, that is it. Right? Our mission has always been to empower entrepreneurs yeah. uh, on both sides of the platform. And that's what we're doing. So if you think about where we go from, from that beginning, and we are doing a lot of these things already, like there's three main levers of uh, growth for us uh, to become the wholesale platform for all of these stores and brands around the world. The first is category expansion. Yeah. which we have started already today we sell a lot of apparel we sell a lot of uh, food non-perishable food and there's many other categories they, they need product change so it's not like just add products to the website but we have been we're focusing on one at a time and adding more categories to the platform 
The next, of course, we, we talked about is the international expansion. Uh, we are in Europe now. We're growing very fast in Europe. Uh, we launched in Australia two weeks ago, and Australia is growing faster than any other country that uh, we have ever launched in before so far. Uh, it's, it's looking very promising, and we'll keep we'll keep expanding internationally to countries where it makes sense to be for our platform. And the last lever is going up market. It's uh, serving larger brands and larger retailers. We're still like a, we still really believe in this shop local and and like the main street. Like we, I don't see us like selling very large brands, but there are many levels, right? You start yeah. with like artisan people building things in their garage, but then we there's many levels that you go up, like from a, a brand that has a few employees to a brand that has like a, a warehouse and to a brand that has a few warehouses. So like there's many levels and, and the more software integrations and APIs we build, the more we can serve these larger customers and they want what we have. And again, it's a huge, huge market, right? When you think about offline retail, the, the easiest way to, to, to get our minds around it is like to think, uh, when you think of online, Retail, right? It's only twelve percent of all retail. Like offline is still eighty-eight percent. Seven eights, yeah. So and online is growing faster. Like there's no question about that. But offline is not decreasing. It's also growing. Right? The, the pile is there, and it grows two to three percent every year. So the, the, this market is huge, huge, and and we are just a little tiny dot on it. There's there's a lot of room for us to grow. Yeah. It's it's not often I see a company so big that sells three huge levers of expansion. So I gotta ask. I imagine you're you're growing faster. You what what are the jobs you're trying to hire for, and how can people find out about them? Well, we have I, I to be honest have like potentially two to three hundred positions open, uh, and some of those are like we need many people, like engineering, for example. Uh, for me specifically in Canada, it's it's a lot of product design, engineering, like mobile, front end, back end. Uh, data science as well, like machine learning, uh, and then like all jobs from like sales to customer support. Uh, so if you go to fair.com slash careers, you will see a list of all the openings and our values as well as a company, which we really, we really live by our values uh, a lot. Uh, so it's, it's worth taking a, a look and reading about it. And finally, um, if people want to learn more about fair or you, where should they check it out? Yeah, fail.com slash about as well has a, a pretty good description of what we do as a business and our again, our values, uh, our mission and everything. And uh, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of, about myself. <laughs> uh, I guess LinkedIn is, is probably the best place. Uh, I try to keep up with it, but it's hard. Well, Marcel, thank you so much for your time. And congratulations on all the success. Um, I'm looking forward to maybe doing another one of these in a few years and hearing how you've expanded all three levers. Um, again, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, that, that would be great to do this again in a few years. It's always good to look back. And, and thank you for having me here. It's great to tell this story. Cool. Um, if you like listening to this podcast, sign up to our newsletter at techto.org backslash newsletter. Or, and you'll be informed of new podcast releases and other upcoming events. Thank you.